pastors here uh, on staff at Risen Life. And I hope you had a wonderful Christmas holiday. Uh, me and my family did. Pretty, pretty good, I think. Um, you know, this year, me and my wife, for Christmas, we decided to do something a little different. We decided to get some gifts that kind of keep on giving. And so we decided to give each other the flu. <laughs> and so for the last six days, we've been trying to find the return receipt for that and haven't, haven't been able to. So uh, it's been a rough week in my, my house. So you're going to have to excuse me if I cough and, and sputter a little bit here as I, I'm speaking. Uh, but I, for several days, I wasn't even hardly able to get out of bed. So I'm glad to be here. Uh, well, today is, is the last day of 2017, as, as you guys know. And as Alex was saying, I mean, it's been a really good year at Risen Life. Um, yeah. Sorry to me get choked up. <laughs> it's been a good year. Um, as he said, we, we've had phenomenal giving this year. Lots of new things started. Um, it's just a joy to serve you guys. So tomorrow we, we start a new year. And if you're like me, you're kind of ready to get into the new year. I mean, I like the holidays and all, but like, I'm kind of like ready to get going, right? Uh, get, you want to change some things in my life? I want to see if I can do better with what God has given me. Get into some new routines, maybe. Be a better father, be a better husband, better follower of Christ, better teacher of the Bible. want to do my job well. And I'm sure that as you guys think about the next year, you have, you have similar aspirations, right? We always want to do better. We want to grow in the Lord. These are, these are good things. But I think that always begs the question for us, how are we really going to make these changes? How are we going to make these changes in 2018? Because after all, tomorrow is just another day, maybe one of a lot of football games, but it's another day, right? Another Monday. And so what's the secret, right? What's the secret to change? Well, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy will tell you 42 is the answer. But that hasn't helped me very much of late. Um, and so most of the time, I think when we're looking to change, we, we're focused on what we want to be instead of maybe how we get there. Okay, and so as we kind of dive in today, I want to look at what could be the most important thing we can do in our Christian life that I think really becomes the root and the driving force for all things that we do, and particularly if we want to see growth in our Christian life this year. And so I think the secret to making this happen is that we would abide in Jesus. Okay. So we're going to look at Christ's words to us in John 15, if, if you want to turn there. And I believe John 15 teaches us that there is a way to live in relationship to Christ in the, in the midst of all the craziness of our life, the daily things, the normal everyday things, where we can find strength and joy and life and love no matter what we face. Jesus doesn't say it'll be easy, but he's saying we can have life in the midst of things. And he talks about that as we abide in the vine 
that we grow into disciples that will bear much fruit and bring glory to his name. And so that is the way I, I want to live this year, and that is the way I want you as followers of Christ to live this year. If there is one thing that I hope you do in the next year, this one thing, one resolution to have is that you would abide in Jesus like you never have before. So let's look at John 15 and see what Jesus has to tell us. I'm sorry, I'm going to have to wipe my nose a couple times today. <laughs> All right, here, let's look at John chapter 15, verses 1 through 3. Here's what it says. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may be more fruitful. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Okay, let's stop right there for one second. This is, this is the grand metaphor of this passage, that, that God is the ultimate farmer, the vine dresser. He is the one who has grown and has planted this vine. <coughs> Jesus is the vine, and that we would be included in him. Okay, and we can think of all the ways that that applies to our Christian life. And I, and I want you to see this, this idea of a vine, this imagery, this is imagery that has occurred throughout the Bible, okay, particularly in the Old Testament. Uh, Isaiah 5, 1 through 7 talks about the Lord planting Israel and Judah as a pleasant vine, and yet it sprang up wicked grapes, wick, wicked fruit, Right? Israel was supposed to be God's special vine, and through them the nations were to see what God is like, and they were to relate to God through him, and yet they failed at their task. And yet Isaiah 27, 2 through 6, it looks forward to the day when the Lord will once again tend to a pleasant vine that, this, that he says will come from Judah and Israel, and it will grow and it will fill the whole earth with fruit. And Jesus here in John 15 is saying, I'm that vine. I'm the special vine. I'm the true son of the Father. I'm the true vine. And God is the vine dresser. He's telling us if you want life, if you want truth, if you want joy, then you need to plug into Jesus as the true vine. And by the way, I think there's a lot of false vines that we can plug ourselves into and do a lot of the time. If you grew up in the South like me, there's a really popular false vine. It's called kudzu. And, and the, the state departments of many of the, the, the cities there thought that, man, this is a great vine. that will It grows fast. It holds back erosion. And they planted it all along the interstates. And guess what it does? It holds back erosion. But it takes over everything. Right? Amen. There we go. Thank you. Um, and uh, so this is a false vine, right? It looks good. It looks like it brings life and does a good thing, and yet it takes over everything. And as humans, we try to find things and people and activities and things that bring us life, whether it be sports and, and skiing and hunting and new stuff and 
dating that perfect person, having kids, job advancement, even different religious practices. But I think that this passage is telling us that all of those vines eventually will let us down. That there is one true vine that brings us life, and that is Jesus. For a year, I worked in um, San Luis Obispo, California, doing some construction in a Tascadero and, and Paso Robles. And if you know anything about this area, this this is wine country, right? This is this is big business there. And so there's 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 all these vineyards there. And for a year, I got to watch all of these vineyards and, and the way that they operate, right? I mean, these things are these things are meticulous. They take care of these vines. Those those vine dressers, they go out there and they they plant the vine and they build these really amazing trellises and they, they wind the vine on there and they clip it and trim it and they, they irrigate it so it gets just the right water. It's really a beautiful thing to see. And, and you know, when the, the grapes finally come, they're on these beautiful trellises just hanging down for the picking. It's gorgeous. This is what Jesus wants us to picture here. John 15.2 gives us that glimpse of the Father as the, the vine dresser doing this work. And it talks about that he does two, two things here. One, he gets rid of branches that are not bearing fruit. Okay. Now listen, this is not a statement on losing your salvation after having become a Christian. If you want to talk more about that, we can. But I'm just going to throw that out there. Rather, it teaches us that to be a Christian means that you bear fruit. That's what it wants to say. You, you're in or you're out with Jesus. You're, you're bearing fruit or you're not a part of the vine. In fact, what we see throughout this passage is God is looking for disciples that bear fruit. That's what he wants us to be. And in 2018, we want to be those disciples that are bearing fruit. To be a Christian means you bear fruit. But this verse should cause us to pause and ask ourselves, are, are we bearing fruit for the gospel? It, I, I say I'm a Christian. Is there fruit in my life? God's warning me that, that he gets rid of those that don't. It's meant to unnerve us and yet motivate us to persevere in Christ. And secondly, he says God is the father, the, the vine dresser, that he he prunes the fruitful branches so that they will bear more fruit. Now, this is an aspect of God's work that hurts, right? As he cuts off some of our best ideas. Who this year has felt God's pruning knife? Anybody? Okay. Now, I want you to see that's a good thing. That means God loves you and he is with you. He wouldn't do that if he didn't. He's telling us here, Jesus, that God will grow you as a believer until you bear fruit. And it's going to hurt a little bit. And so as we look back at last year and go, ouch. And look forward to next year and go, oh dang, what's coming? I want you to see that this passage helps us out. Because, listen, many times when we, when we have trouble that comes in our life, we think God's mad at us, right? That's our general standard reaction. We generally think when things are going well, God loves us. And when things are going bad, God hates us. 
That's how humans operate. But that's not the gospel. That is simply not the gospel. Jesus is telling us that God loves you, and he's going to be working in your life, and the things you go through are in his hands, and they will ultimately grow you if you let them. God prunes us of all kinds of things, sometimes our sin, sometimes of the directions we thought we were going in life. Sometimes he just throws something out there to try you. If you have included yourself in Christ, then Romans 8.28 tells us that verse, that all things work together for the good of those who love Jesus. That is not because they may be good, but because God turns everything over as a believer. Even the bad things get used for our sanctification, that God will grow us. And so this year, as we face different circumstances, because we're going to face them, let's be honest. Let that drive you to abide more in the vine, knowing that it is God who is in control, and he is pruning you and growing you to be a fruitful disciple. This is similar to, to Hebrews 12, 4 through 11, and I'd encourage you to go read that. But particularly verse 11, it says that God disciplines us as sons, right? For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. That is God's plan for us. And let's just pause here for a second. What, what do I mean when I'm saying fruit? I keep saying fruit, and this passage talks a lot about fruit. <coughs> In this passage, as we'll see, Jesus is particularly talking about making more disciples. He's talking to the disciples. He's, they're, they're sitting at the Last Supper. He's getting ready to go to the cross. He's getting ready to send them out into the world. And he's saying, when everything's going to go crazy, you need to abide in me, and you need to get the job done, which is making more disciples. That's primarily what he's talking about here is he's urging these guys to be disciple makers who are bearing fruit. In other words, if you follow Jesus and grow in him, then he wants you to invite others to do the same. That's bearing fruit. <coughs> you share the gospel with them and you disciple them on what it means to live out the Christian life. In fact, this year at Risen Life, we're going to be talking a lot more about discipleship, what it looks like as our body moves to bear more fruit. How do we get more people into the gospel and how do we train them up to be followers of Christ, disciple them? That's the great commission. Go into all the world and make disciples of all men. That doesn't mean just share the gospel with them. It means train them up to be followers of Jesus in every aspect, teaching them everything Jesus said. But I also think Jesus has other kinds of fruitfulness in view here. You know, loving your spouse more, loving your family more because Christ is in you and growing you, that's fruitfulness. Defeating sins that, be, that befit us to greater and greater degrees through the power of the Spirit, that's fruitfulness. Becoming a man of woman or of greater and greater character, that's fruitfulness. Living a life with peace of mind and joy and hope in the midst of everything that goes on in our world, that's fruitfulness. 
all of this is fruitfulness, and Jesus is going to show us that it only happens by abiding in him. So here's, here's the picture again. Jesus, the true, perfect, bountiful vine. God, the vine dresser, tending and pruning the vine, making fruitful disciples. And John 15, 3 there gives us a good reminder. If you look back there for a second. It says, you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. It's a good reminder to us that even though God may be dealing with our sin in life, he may be pruning us to the point of pain, that we are still his people. Okay, Jesus is referring to the fact that what he has communicated to the disciples, the words he's been teaching them over his ministry, they bring him life, or bring them life. They're the words of salvation. They're being saved because they hear Jesus' words and they believe it. And then Jesus enacted this very picture in John 13, 1 through 20. He went and he washed their feet. Right? He actually cleansed them physically to show what he was doing to them spiritually as he taught them. We know that the word of God is important to John. John 1, 1 told us that Jesus is the very word of God. That Jesus shows us exactly what the Father is like. He speaks the very words of salvation. And the disciples, as we said, had learned Jesus' words, had believed, and that was making them clean, their sins being forgiven. In fact, and we'll see in John 15, 7, Jesus is going to talk more about his words abiding in us. And this leads us to a very important aspect of what it means to abide in Jesus. If we're going to abide in Jesus this year, we need to be people that are regularly in his word. It is through God's word that the Holy Spirit speaks to us about salvation and life in Christ. If you want to hear from God this year, and I hope you do, then you must read what he's written to you and take it in deep. You want to abide in Jesus? Then get, get what he said in you and let it affect who you are and how you see the world. And so how do we, how do we get Jesus' word in, in us? I hope that you have some way of regularly reading the Bible. I mean, there, there's a million ways to do this. So Some of the ways I like to do it, personally, I sit down and I usually read a whole, whole book in, in one sitting. Um, that's, that's my own way of doing it. But that's not, you know, there's other ways, there are different reading plans where you can read so many verses a day and get through your Bible over the year. If you want help with one of those, we are more than happy to point you to something. There, you could get a, a devotional book that gives you some scripture and then, and then it helps you understand it. You can memorize scripture. Get it in your heart so that you can repeat it to yourself during the day or apply it to a situation you see going on. You can get in a community group or another Bible study and discuss God's Word. You can sit in your car and listen to it on your iPod or at work. You can sit at the dinner table or at breakfast like we do with the boys and, and read Bible stories for three, to three minutes and just discuss it together. The point is we want to get Jesus' words in us if we're going to abide in Him. Let's dive a little deeper into this imagery of the vine. <coughs> Let's take a look at John 15, 4 through 8 now. 
Look at what he says. Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Listen, if you want to defeat sin in your life this year, if you want to love your family better, you want to become that man of woman of, of character that, that you've seen, e- even if you want to be more successful in your work in, in a godly way, Jesus is saying you can't do it unless you abide in me. Jesus is meant to be the source of life for us as believers. And as we've said far too often, we look everywhere for strength instead of plugging into the source. We even do this as ministers. We get all caught up in in the plans of ministry and, and, and doing this and that, and then suddenly we leave Jesus out of the picture. Jesus is telling us that if you want to bear fruit as a believer, you must abide in him. In fact, John 15, 4 starkly tells us that unless we abide in him, we will bear no fruit. This is a sobering reality of our relationship with Jesus. And listen, when when I'm talking about abiding here, Jesus is not talking about some abstract religious experience, right? It's It's not I'm saying, this year you need to go sit on the mountain every day and just pray. That'd be great. Jesus is talking to fishermen. He's talking to tax collectors. He's talking to guys that have families. He's talking to guys that he wants to accomplish great things in the midst of their life. To abide in Jesus is a daily, moment-by-moment thing. I cannot impress this on you enough. It is not just the quiet time in the morning, but it is every moment throughout the day, bringing everything to Jesus, listening to Jesus, saying, what should I do here, Lord? Help me with this. How many times have you wanted to share the gospel of a friend but found yourself scared and didn't know what to say? How many times have you wanted to love your spouse even though they're driving you crazy? And then you get into those you get into that same pattern, that same sin pattern. They do the thing you can't stand. You know what you should do, and you still do the old thing. That's when we need to abide in Jesus, because that's when we get the strength to do the new thing. Jesus is telling us, you won't act righteously. You won't make disciples. You won't bear fruit unless you abide in him. So if you set yourself to one thing this year, let it be to abide in Christ. Everything else flows from that. And look, John 15, 6 gives us a warning that that if we don't abide in Christ, we'll be gathered up and burned. 
And the, the, the illustration here is of the, the, the vine branches being gathered up and burned. And I almost, you know, this, this seems kind of detached from us. We're like, oh, yeah, we'll be gathered up and burned. Well, that year I lived in California, guess what they did? They cut the branches, they gathered them up, and they burned them. And it shocked me to death. <laughs> Picture of the burning branches. It's a strong warning to all of us that claim Christ that if we don't bear fruit, we'll be cast into the fire. Listen, this is, this is again, this is, this is not unlike if you know the warning passages in Hebrews. These are the ones that keep everybody up at night, okay? The ones that everybody goes, man, I think I can lose my salvation. Okay, these are the passages that scare us to death. And, and I want you to see they, they should scare you to death because there is a way of not following God and there is a way of following God. And God is very clear with that. And yet, he's not saying here again that you will lose your salvation, but rather it is meant to motivate you to persevere in Jesus. If that scares you, then it's doing its job. God wants you to look to him and say, okay, God, let's get this thing going. Let's get this right. That's a heart that's given to him. John 15, 7, as we read, we get a second principle of of abiding. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And so to abide in Christ means to pray in response to his word. If we're abiding in Jesus and his words from the Bible are saturating our life, then he says, ask whatever you want. I'll do it. That's a great promise. How often do we pray like that? How often do we believe that promise? He knows, Jesus knows that a life abiding in him, one that's saturated in his word, they're they're not going to ask for things contrary to word, but they're going to want kingdom advancement things in their life and in the world. And Jesus says, ask what you want, I'll give it to you. (coughs) So let me ask you, what do you want to see happen in 2018? Are, are those godly ambitions? Do they come in response to God's word? Have you measured them against God's word? You know, James 4, 2 through 3 gives us a, a kind of a, a damning critique of our, our what we ask of the Lord. It says, you, d- you don't have because you don't ask. And secondly, you ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. I think a lot of us, even in ministry, are guilty of not asking. We get so caught up in doing things, we don't ask God to be in our life and to to move and to do wonderful things. And secondly, we ask wrongly because we don't have God's Word in us. So what are you going to ask God for this year? John 15, 8 wraps up this section for us. He says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. Now this verse gets it really at the this core of the life of the f- of faith. Uh, we've talked about this several times in my Sunday school class, and um, but I want you to see that there's really there's there's two parts to the life of faith. Okay, faith is sometimes mysterious to us. It's not just belief. Okay, F- faith is is two things. It, it's we we hear from God's word and we believe something. And then we 
take God's word that we believe and we act on it and we do something. Okay, so faith is always a believing and a doing. That's the life of faith. Here we have a little graphic there for you. Okay, we, we learn from God. We have something that we believe and then we, we stake our life on that belief and we start doing. That's a life of faith. James 2.17 tells us that faith without works is dead, right? That would be one side of the equation is missing. And I would say that if you flipped it over, works without faith would be dead too. That's what the Pharisees taught us. So to abide in Jesus means to engage in this process of learning and believing what God has said in his word and then living it out and then repeating it tomorrow. So Jesus, in 2018, wants fruitful disciples that glorify the Father. Our deeds, our works, are meant to show the world and, and the outside that Christ has transformed us, and that brings glory to the Father. Now, Jesus has laid out for us probably, I think this is one of the most important metaphors in the whole Bible for us to live by. The Father is the vine dresser. Jesus as the true vine. We, including ourselves in Him, to find life and faith and joy. And the Father is looking for fruitful disciples to bring Him glory. Now look at John fifteen nine through thirteen. He's going to give us a little more detail here on what it means to abide. John fifteen nine through thirteen says this. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now John fifteen nine is an amazing verse. If you've got a pen, I just underline it. I just start 2018 off by memorizing that verse. I want to read it for you again. It says, The Father, this is Jesus, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Abide in my love. God loves us. Jesus is saying, Guys, I love you. Just like God loved me, the same love I'm giving to you. And elsewhere in the Bible, it talks about it is that it's this love that motivates us to live a life in Him. So a third principle of abiding in Christ is that we need to think deeply and constantly about God's love for us expressed in Christ. And then look, John 15.10 tells us how to abide in Christ's love. He says it's by, by keeping the commandments. We show our love for the Son and by extension the Father by keeping the commandments. Now that doesn't sound like love to our modern ears. Right? We like to talk about love as this free, squishy, unrestrained thing right out there that just makes you happy. But the Bible always shows us that love is purposeful. It's shown in action and deed. And, and notice how Jesus gives us the example of love. He, he tells us to obey him, 
And then he says, look how I love the Father. I obeyed him. He roots his command right in that picture. So we see that a fourth principle of how we should abide in Christ is to love him by following his commandments. Now I want to think carefully about this for just one second because we can get messed up on this. We need to think carefully about what it means to keep Christ's commands and abiding in his love. First, we must remember that the gospel teaches us that Christ's sacrifice, when he died on the cross, it, it paid for all sins. Okay, and, it, and if we include ourselves in Christ, if we confess him as Lord and say, God, we want, I want to follow you, Jesus, now. Please forgive me of my sins. Then he takes all of our sinfulness throws it away forever, and he gives us all of his righteousness. That means his life of keeping what God had asked him to do. So when God looks at you, he sees you as perfectly righteous. So we're not keeping commands to gain favor with Jesus. We already have it. Remember, abide in his love. But we do strive to do what Jesus has asked us to do in response to what he's done for us. Christ asks us to pursue holiness, keeping his commandments in the cover of grace, Jesus having done it for you. This means Christ is looking for disciples that keep persevering and growing in their ability to do what he's asked of them. And in response, that shows love and respect to him as he has loved the Father. And the second half of John 15, 11 gives us the command for us as believers in Christ. It says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. So you know what God wants you to do? You know what Jesus wants you to do this year? Love other people. You see how this works? This is just like the great commandment of Matthew 22, 34 through 40. God God says, love me and love other people. Okay? We love God by keeping his commandments. And then we love others by expressing that same love to him. And this begins the process of discipleship for someone else. And then look at John 15, 11, the first half. It says, these things, here's the result. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You get joy. And this is no small amount of joy. This is the very joy that is in Christ himself that he's given to you when you abide in him. This is real joy. This is the kind of joy that that gets you out of bed in the morning. right? No matter what's going on, you're excited because you know what you're doing is part of what God's doing. We know that's different than just happiness. Happiness can come and go through different seasons. In football games. But joy is a more underlying, sustaining feeling. Everything can go wrong in your life, but if there's a deep down joy, you can bear up under all sorts of things. Hebrews tells us how Jesus had joy. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, it says, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, 
despised the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you want that kind of joy? I do. I think we get a little taste of this, you know, when we go on, on mission trips. And, and uh, generally, you know, it's a short time. And, and most everybody on the trip, man, they're just happy to be there, right? They're like, hey, why don't you go over here and clean this, this third world toilet? Great. I'm glad to do it. Right? That's joy because we got the mission in our heart. may not be the same once you get back on the airplane, but you get to taste what it is like to have that underlying joy. So Jesus has told us to abide in his love and to do that by following his commands. Now we're going to close this out and look at just two quick things here at the end of John 15. <coughs> look at John 15, 13 through 17. It says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends, for all that I've heard from the Father I have made known to you. Jesus calls us friends because He's explained the very workings of God to us. He's told us what God is like. He's told us what God wants of us. And he's told us how to do that. It's not a servant where you just say, hey, go and do this and and get it done. Right? Saying, this is how you do it. This is why you do it. You're my friends. As we know elsewhere, we even get included in his, his inheritance. So this is not conditional friendship as we might read it, but this is Jesus, friends that, that do his commandments. It's talking about rather that obedience proves that we abide in Christ, just like the fruit. This is truly one of the amazing things about being a Christian that we get to be called a friend of Christ. And then look at 15, 16, and 17. It says, look, you did not choose me, But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. See, John 15, 16 tells us that Jesus has called a specific people to himself for a specific job. Here it's the disciples. He's getting ready to send them out into the world to start the church, to start spreading the gospel. And if Jesus has called you to follow him, then he's got a job for you. And it's not much different than these guys. It's to abide in him and to share the gospel with others, to all the nations. Jesus has appointed you to bear fruit so that your fruit would abide. That means the people that you share the gospel with would then plug themselves into Jesus and they would begin to bear fruit. This is the whole process of making disciples. And it repeats itself and it repeats itself. And Jesus says, if you'll abide in me, then whatever you'll ask for me, I'll give it to you means if you want to be on mission for me, you want to bear great fruit, ask me to do that and we'll do it. So what are you praying for in 2018? This section of John 15 and concludes with John 15, 17. Ben, you can come on up. Or Sean, that is. The one-man band today. <coughs> <coughs> 
concludes with Jesus saying he's commanded these things so that we will love one another. I want you to see that the more we abide in Jesus and experience his love, the more we are able to love those around us and to share the gospel with them. This is really the whole thing of this. So my prayer for you in 2018 is that you would abide in Jesus like you never have before. As we've talked about, it looks like immersing ourselves in his word. It, it looks like praying in response to his word. It looks like living in his love for us. It looks like abiding in his love by, by following his commandments. And it looks like loving others as he has loved us. Jesus wants to make fruitful disciples of all of us, abiding in him, teaching others to do the same. <coughs> Will you be one? As we come to a time of response, we're going to sing a, sing a hymn that Sean has picked for us. And I'd ask that you respond to the Lord, that you would you'd think about what you have planned for this year and, and think, is this what God would have me be doing? And more than that, I want to think about how are you going to abide in him this year? He says, if you'll ask me, I'll do it for you. Ask him what you need to do to abide in him. What, what do you need to do to be regularly abiding in him? And for some of you, you may never have abided in Jesus. If that's you, you've never become a believer in Jesus. You've never said, God, I see what you've done on the cross. I'm sorry for my sins. Please forgive me. I want your forgiveness and love. I want to abide in you. And start the new year with that. Become a believer in him. So whatever it is, I want you to take a few minutes and just respond to the Lord as we sing. And then we'll head into the new year together.
Before my closing eyes shine through the gloom and point me to the skies as heaven's morning breaks. Heaven's morning breaks in life, in death, abide with me in life, in death, abide with me in life, in death, oh wants to abide with you, we just need to abide with him. And he can give us power for life, joy, hope in the future, whatever we face this year. And, and my prayer, as I said, for all of you is that we would become fruitful disciples, that this year, Risen Life Church, all of us would become great disciple makers, bearing much fruit. Will you join me and do that this year? Now, we have some, a few announcements for you as we close. Um, one way to become a disciple maker with us this year is we're, we're still looking for a few more people to go to Guatemala with us. So if that might be you, and also uh, as we go to Djibouti. Um, so if that might be you, you want to go on a trip with us this summer, talk to me or Sean, that would be great. Um, also, beginning January 17th, we have Wednesday Night Women. Talk to Tina about that. That'll be a great new thing. That's starting up. And then finally, Sean's got a few things for us. So tonight, before the new year uh, is official, uh, <laughs> beginning at 6 o'clock tonight at the Point Church, there's an address down there, and if you're looking for it, it's in Kearns. Uh, trust me, you want to be a part of this night uh, with the Salt Lake City Mass, War Mass Choir. Uh, I'm going to be leading a couple songs with them, as well as uh, worship pastors from I think four other churches are joining uh, with this, this big worship night that's going to take place. If you missed it here, you missed out. And so I'm really encouraging you to, uh, to be a part there tonight. Uh, we're going to have a blast. And then uh, lastly, we have a, a worship conference that's going to take place here at Risen Life on January 13th from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Uh, we're going to experience worship and teaching with a guy named David Petty. Um, and there's more info on that on the city. This is mainly for those interested in being uh, involved with worship teams or just wanting to see what, what goes into to planning that. But if you have more questions about that, come find me and I'd be happy to, uh, to answer those questions. So as we, we've gone through all this, we just want to say thank you for being here with us this morning and, and lifting up the name of Jesus uh, as, we, as we say every Sunday, what we want you to do is to pray and watch and to reach, look for opportunities to, to talk to people. Thank you so much for being here. You're dismissed.